I remember back when I was a kid, I'll tell the kids here a, a quick story as I open up. We uh, were on a family camping trip when I was about 10 years old. And uh, I grew up in Houston, Texas. So it was some state park in the southern part of Texas that we were in. And, and it was going to be a big deal at this state park because in the evening, they were going to show a movie outside. That's not typically what we would get when we'd go on our family camping trips. So this was a big deal. Now, some of you all will remember the projectors with the big reels on them. Yeah, it was one of those, right? And so, uh, so we showed up and they told us, you know, hey, it's going to be at dusk, which is probably about nine o'clock. And so... We, uh, we were pretty excited. We had dinner. We still had a little time uh, to spare before, before it would get dark. And so we decided we'd take one last um, trail. And we would go hiking on one of, the, one of the local trails there at the park. And so we, we uh, ventured out and uh, we got going. And it was one of those experiences where we, we felt like we kept going around to the same spot over and over again. Have you ever done that before? It's like, didn't we just pass this tree? Didn't we just pass this rock? And sure enough, we had gotten off the trail and we were just kind of wandering around and, and uh, it started getting dark, but inside the, all of the trees, it started getting dark even faster. And so, uh, so we were, I was a little nervous because I could look at my dad and I could tell on his face, he was getting a little nervous. So I said, so dad, do you think they're going to send anybody in to find us? And uh, I'm sure he gave the right answer. Uh, sure, son, I know they'll probably send. And in my mind, I'm thinking, how will they even know we don't make it back to our campsite, right? So, so that was the situation we were in. But as it got dark, they started to turn on that projector. And off in the distance, we could see the light coming from the place where the movie was being shown. And so what did we do? We just started navigating our way through the trees and just keeping our eye on that light. And uh, finally, to everyone's amazement, a family of four popped out from the woods <laughs> at dark right by the screen. And so uh, that in itself was, uh, was uh, kind of amusing. But we were able to get out. And it, it has always reminded me that when the Bible says that the word of God is like a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet, that, that it is a book that is, that is there to guide us. It is there to direct us. As we try to navigate the darkness of this world, as we try to find our way to the Lord, he has given us direction. In fact, it's Psalm 119, 105 that says, your word is a lamp for my feet. Notice those personal words. It's, it's God's word that's a lamp for my feet, for your feet. It's a light on my path. Over the summer, we are having a sermon series called I Believe, Applying Truth to Everyday Life. And the, the idea of the series is that each week, we will look at some tenet of the Christian faith. Some, some belief, and we will, we will look at it, we will seek to understand it, and then we will see how does it apply. It's almost like saying, this is what it means, but if this is the what, what's the so what? What, what, what difference does that make in the way I live my life? And so, so each week we'll be looking at a, at a different belief, and today we will be thinking practically about the Bible. What do we believe about the Bible. What does the Bible teach about itself? What is the historic Christian belief about the Bible? We said last week that we want to see our lives align with what we believe to how we live. And that we realize that each of us have a gap that narrows as we grow in our faith. 
that we want to align our lives to what we believe. We don't want to just say we believe something and then live in, complete, uh, in, a, in a completely different way. That's, that's not consistent. We want instead to grow both in our knowledge but also in the application of that knowledge. And so each week we'll be looking at a different doctrine, a different belief. But again, today we start with our belief in the Bible. And I think that makes sense because everything else that we'll be looking at over this summer will be going back to the Bible. Paul Tripp says it this way, the existence, inspiration, authority, and trustworthiness of Scripture is the doctrinal foundation upon which every other doctrine stands. So every tenet of our belief is connected to what we believe about the Bible. We're going to consider several passages today, but we're going to begin in the book of 2 Peter. And of course, this is a a book that was written by one of the Lord's disciples, uh, probably one of the the more famous ones, right? When we think of of the the 12 disciples, we think of Peter. And uh, Peter, of course, uh, was was one who, who saw Christ personally. He followed him personally, learned from him. And this is what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And so many of these writers in the New Testament were indeed eyewitnesses. And so that's what he's saying. It's not just myths and legend and folklore. This is truth that we ourselves saw. Jump down to verse 20. Above all, you know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation. So now he's looking back to the Old Testament, talking about how God spoke through the prophets and how even he used the prophets to, 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 uh, to help write uh, the Word of God. Verse 21, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so it's a statement that says God's word is inspired. It's what God has given that was then placed and written down and and, and, uh, collected as the word of God. So we begin with the what question. What is it that we believe about the Bible? Obviously, this is an important one to start with because what one believes about the Bible will ultimately affect what one believes about everything else, right? What, how one will believe about God or about humanity, about the nature of sin or the need for a savior or the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. All of these things are connected to what a person believes about the Bible. And so, uh, so that's where we begin. Now, the focus today, this, the, the focus of this message, isn't a defense on why the Bible should be believed. Um, about a year ago, almost to the day, I preached a message called, Is the Bible Trustworthy? And that was on June the 20th 
of last year. And if you would like to, to pull that up on our website, that's one that's more of an apologetic message. Who were the authors of the Bible? Why can we trust them? Um, uh, when we think about the archaeological or the historical evidence of the Bible, how does that help us see that the Bible is, in fact, trustworthy? That, that's what that message was, was about. My, my goal today is to simply give an overview of the historic understanding, Christian understanding of what we believe about the Bible. If you want more of that apologetic uh, message, you can go back, as I said, to June the 20th of last year. Uh, but for this message, I want to begin with what we state in our membership class. When someone uh, says they're interested in, in, uh, in knowing more about, about fellowship of Wildwood, what we believe, possibly wanting to, to become a member of the church, this is what we tell them we believe about the Bible. The Bible is God's word to us. It was written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. Because it is inspired by God, it is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living. Now, I think that's a, that's a great summary statement that I think has a high view of the Bible, saying the Bible is from God. The Bible, are, the Bible is God's word to us and that it is inspired, and that it is the supreme source. That means that everything else that we want to see, whether or not it's true, we have to compare against the supreme truth of God's word. It is the ultimate standard, and it guides us not only in what we believe, but also how we are to live. And so that's really the, the, the focus of our, of our summer series is connecting those beliefs to the way we live. So the bottom line is we believe that the words of the Bible are God's word. In fact, when, uh, when you read through the Old Testament, sometimes you'll see a, a prophet that's about to speak and will make a statement before they say uh, a, a, a proclamation of some kind and, and, and will preface it with the phrase, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. So the, the prophet's about to speak, and they want to really make sure that the people understand, this is what the Lord says. Thus saith the Lord. Well, any time and every time we open up the Bible and we read the words within, we in our minds can be thinking, thus saith the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Because the, the, the words of the Bible are the words that have come from God. So when we say we believe the word of God, we're really saying we believe God. When we say that we want to receive the, the, the truth of God's word, we're saying that, 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 that it's trustworthy. We're saying that, that God is trustworthy. When we say that we want to obey the word of God, we're really saying we want to obey God. That's the, the close connection that we see. Wayne Grudem says it this way, since the Bible affirms that it is the very words of God, we are to seek to understand those words. For in doing so, we are seeking to understand God himself. And so I know that, that at times we're saying we would really like to have a word from God for something that we're going through. Maybe it's a crisis. Maybe it's a question, looking for wisdom, trying to, to navigate. Well, if we want to hear a word from God, thus saith the Lord. 
There is a word from God. He has given it to us, and we have it. Now, I've quoted from Wayne Grudem, and I want to, uh, in fact, I'll probably quote from him again throughout this series because he has, he's a theologian, and he's written a lot about Christian beliefs. And, and I want to recommend a resource for you. I think it's helpful for everyone to have a resource on Christian belief or doctrine. And uh, you'll see on the, the, the slide here that, that there are three books and it's almost like uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, okay? It's like we have something that's very large, something that's the me medium size, and something that is the very small size. And so uh, it's the same content. It's just when you start with the big one, that's like seminary-level textbook, which, which I would commend to you. I think it's great to have a resource that is robust and vibrant about, about what it is that we believe, uh, particularly today when, when beliefs are called into question, to be able to go to a resource to help us find, well, where, where are the scriptures that speak about a particular doctrine? I had that happen in the lobby after the first service. Someone had a, had a, had a doctrinal question. They want to go back. What does the Bible say about this? Well, resources like this can help us find those passages. So, so that's the big one. There was a summary form called Bible doctrine, and it's laid out very similarly to the to the larger book. And, and by the way, it's still several hundred pages. It's a, it's a good sized volume. And then you have uh, uh, the one that's called Twenty Basics Every Christian Should Know: Christian Beliefs. And it's a summary. It's much smaller, very readable. But I would commend for for each of us, either on your Kindle or on your bookshelf, have a resource like this. And I'll be quoting from uh, from him. Uh, throughout the series. Well, back to what we teach here in our church about the Bible. In fact, there's four words that we use in our membership class, and I want to share those with you. Those four words are, the, are these, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and sufficient. And those are important words because those words lay out the, the view that we hold of God's Word. So let me, let me tell you what these, means, what, what these words mean. Inerrant obviously means without error, that, that we, we hold to the Bible and say, this is from God and it doesn't have any errors. Now, I know that as soon as I say that, some people say, well, wait a minute. I thought that over the years there had been some scribal errors or some numbers that, uh, that got uh, turned around in describing how many years a king was on a throne or, or a word was misspelled. And, and there were scribal errors. I mean, if you think about it, uh, the original manuscripts weren't laid on a copy machine, right? I mean, it was humans that were, that were, uh, that were uh, transcribing these. And so, yeah, surely there, there have been some, some human errors. But in the original manuscripts, we, we recognize and see that the Bible is without error. And there have not even been any scribal issues that have ever uh, threatened any doctrine that is found in the Word of God. And so, so we, with confidence, uh, look to, to the Word. We can look at it in the, in the original languages. Uh, we can find uh, aspects of early manuscripts, that, uh, that, that, that lots and lots of them that, that bring confirmation. Talked about that last year. Uh, and so we, we, with confidence, can say we believe the Bible is inerrant. We can also say that it's infallible, meaning that it's wholly true. Or you might say it this way, it's incapable of error. And why is that? Because God's incapable of error, and he gave us his words. And so we say it's, it's without error, it's wholly true, and we also say that it is authoritative. It, it communicates what we are to believe and how we are to live. Now, sometimes I think about the authoritative nature of God's word by saying, 
we hold up God's word and it is the authority. It speaks to us. It is, it is the source of truth that we compare everything else to. And so we, we really want to stand underneath God's word, recognizing that it is authoritative. But if we're not careful, we can follow a perspective that would say, I'm going to be authoritative. And I'll be over God's word. And I'll, I'll pick and choose the parts that I want or that I like or that, that, that resonate with me. Well, well what happens to to this idea of, of, of authority. All of a sudden, I become the authority. And I think that's a, that's a good picture with what you see happening in the world is that, that by and large, the world doesn't want to be under the authority of God. And so they want to stand over the word and be authoritative over it. So that's, a, that's an illustration that I think each of us can consider. So as we think about these four words, we want to look at that list. And I want to ask you, what does the individual look like who doesn't believe that God's word is inerrant, infallible, authoritative, or sufficient? It, 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 it leads them down a path where they themselves have to try to determine, well, what is truth? What's truth for me? What's truth for you? It, it leads to a, a road of, of relativism. It leads to a path of confusion. It, 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 it begins to, to, to call into question whether the Bible is really sufficient or if we need to add something else. In fact, that's that fourth word, sufficient. All we need for faith and practice. There isn't a need for additional words from God. These are given to us in the Bible and they are sufficient, even as the book of Revelation has reminded us to not add or take away, but to, to receive what is there. Um, if we lose this conviction regarding the Bible, let me say it very clearly, we lose everything. We lose everything. If we lose a, a right perspective, if we lose a high view of Scripture, everything is a slippery slope from that point forward. In fact, it's true on many levels. We could think about it as a church. If we as a church changed our doctrinal statement and no longer believed that the Bible could be described with these four words, just think about what it would look like, what we would teach in our, in our classrooms or what we'd teach from the pulpit or, or what we, where we would base authority. I mean, it would be very different. It's also true not only in a church, but, but I've told you before that, that even in an institutional level, I attended a seminary in the mid-90s. And uh, unfortunately, at that time, the seminary had a very low view of God's word. Thankfully, that's not the case today. Midwestern Seminary is very strong in its view of God's word. But that one perspective, having professors that were very critical of God's word, calling into question whether something was really part of Scripture, if it was really something that, that God had given, this whole understanding of, of criticism of the text is, is, is really what was driving the school at that point. And I remember graduating with a colleague, a peer of mine, fellow student, We'd both uh, spent three years on a master's degree there at the seminary. And, and he said these words as he was crying on graduation day. When I came to seminary, I believed the Bible. And now I don't know what I believe. That was his seminary experience, right? So that's what I'm saying. If, if we lose a high view of the Bible, everything there from there really changes. Not just at a church or a seminary, but think about it from an individual perspective. If there's someone that, that, that loses or, or, or lacks a high view of God's word, what, what does that look like? 
You see, anytime we find, we find theological drift or theological error, we can always trace it back to how one believes the Bible. That's the foundation. That's what the problem was at the seminary. It was, it was clearly the perspective that they had on the Bible. Everything else changed based upon that. It's the case also with an individual. And I'd like to just say a minute to uh, say something for just a moment to our young people. I know we've got students with us. I know we've got kids from, from kids' church. And I want to encourage you as a young person to hold on to a firm conviction in God's, of God's word. Hold on to your belief in the Bible. Take God's word and, and what he has given to us and receive it and hold on to it. Even if the world around you tries to challenge it or question it or tell you that you could exchange it for something else that will be more fun or more popular, I want to tell our young people, don't give up the Bible. Hold on to it. And it will go well for you for your entire life. You are going to have friends that will hold on to the Bible. And you will see that they will live with God giving them wisdom. God giving them direction. For them being able to understand how to pattern and, and live life based upon the word. And you will also have friends that don't receive the Bible. That, that might even mock it. Or just have no interest in it. And you will see that their path will look different. They will just be doing things the way they want to. So I, again, I just want to, to reinforce that, that we want to hold on to the Bible. Otherwise, it would be like turning off the light, turning off the flashlight, trying to find your way out of the forest, trying to find your, your way through life and not having the light to guide you. So I think this is so important. Yes, obviously for, for adults and, and at every age, but I specifically want our young people just to, to make that personal commitment that you want to not only have a conviction that the Bible is true, but that you want to receive it, that you want to take it in and allow it to guide you. The late Adrian Rogers said, the, the starting place in Christian growth is to have a firm conviction about the inspiration and authority of the Bible. You will not make solid progress without it. And I think he's exactly right. That's where it begins to say and to, to know that the Bible is from God and that indeed we receive it as authoritative. I realize this can be like swimming upstream, going against the current, uh, but... It has been given to us, and we can individually and as a church, we can hold on to a high view of God's word. This is necessary. And in, in addition to that, the Bible is also a book that is unlike any other book. In Hebrews chapter 4, look, listen to how it's described in verse 12. For the word of God is living and effective. Some versions say living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able, look at the work it does, to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So, so the Bible is not like any other book on your bookshelf. God says, my word is alive, and it is doing a work in those who are reading it. In fact, the end of the verse says that it's even judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. A.W. Tozer said the Bible talks to us. 
Martin Luther said, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands, and it lays hold of me. You see, Hebrews 4 is telling us that the Bible is alive, that it's living, that it's effective. Life and energy are found in the pages of Scripture. So just in the last few minutes, we've had a, just a summary of what we believe about the Bible. Now let's ask not just the what question, but what's the other question? So what? What difference does that make on a, on a practical level? Here's the second point, the effect of God's word in life. I've already touched on the first one, that is that it guides. We looked at Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path, that, 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 that God's word indeed uh, guides us even guiding us into knowing who God is. In fact, it's in 1 Peter chapter 1 that it says, because you have been born again, a phrase talking about coming to faith in Christ. To be born again means that you've received a new life in Jesus. Your old life is buried and you have a new life. So the Bible sometimes says born again. How's this happen? Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. It's the Word of God that even allows us to see our need for a Savior. It's the Word of God that explains to us why Jesus came and how we can know Him, how we can follow and, and live for Him to be His disciple. All of that happens because of this living and enduring Word of God. It not only guides us, it also strengthens one's faith. In times when, when faith is weak, when we have doubts or we have questions and we have struggles in our faith, what is it that we need? We need to hear from God. We need his word not only to guide us, but to also strengthen us. In Romans chapter 10, it says in verse 17, so faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. And different versions have, have some different language, but it's, it's talking about the Word of God being taught, being preached, being proclaimed. It is the, the effect that the Word of God has on the life of the individual to strengthen one's faith. And in my own life, I've, I've recognized at times where I felt like my faith was, was weakening or faltering. And, and this verse comes back to mind that, that I need to let the Word do its work that I need to pay attention, I need to spend more time, I need to come underneath the Word so that my faith can be strengthened. It also equips. We looked at this last Sunday. The word equip means to be made ready. And uh, we spent a lot of time last week looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, this is one of, the, uh, uh, one of the verses that really describes God's Word well, talking about the Bible being inspired by God, but we also noticed the four ways in which the Bible works uh, upon us. And we'll look at it again. All scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So again, we see that the follower of Christ is equipped by the word. I won't spend a lot of time on that verse because we, we, uh, we, we looked at it in great detail last week. 
So the question then is, is not whether or not God's word is able. The question is whether we will receive it to do its work, whether we will hold on to the word of God or not. And let me just say it this way. This is the question, the question that I believe will have the greatest impact on someone's life, how they view the Bible. That that question alone has the greatest impact on the trajectory of one's life and eternity on how they view the Bible. It all comes down to that one question. In fact, that's similar to what Moses was telling the people of Israel. Some of the final words that he would give them, uh, the the people that he had been leading, if you recall, through the the Exodus and into the the desert and going to the promised land, they were going to go in and he's giving them some final words. Look at how he points them to God's word. Deuteronomy 30. See, today I have set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity, For I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, statutes, and ordinances, so that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God may do what? Bless you. Bless you in the land you are entering to possess. So we see that the word of God is able. It's able to equip. It's able to do its work. But don't we also see that there is a responsibility, a personal responsibility for us to receive it, to trust it? I like the word Moses used, to to walk in it, you know, to put it into practice. That's, That's the responsibility that you and I are given. God's given us the word. The question is, what will we do with it? And if we are walking in it, we can see that the result will be the same, God's blessing. That's a principle that you can count on, not just in the days of Moses, but even today, if we are walking in God's word, we we will see his blessing in our lives. Let me share one other passage. We looked at uh, 2 Peter and 1 Peter. Turn with me over to Psalm chapter 19. And uh, I think that, that, that there are three verses here in Psalm 19 that give a wonderful description of the Bible. In fact, there are six titles given. And, and with these six titles, there are also uh, six benefits that correspond. So there's a, there's a title, a description of the title, and then the benefit that we receive. See if you can find them as we go through uh, Psalm 19, beginning in verse 7. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. So what's the title? The instruction. What's the description? The instruction is perfect. And what's the result or what's the benefit? It renews one's life. Now we see this pattern happen six times. Let's keep reading. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord, they are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are 
reliable, and altogether righteous. So you think about the six titles that are here. Depending on the version you read, it might be some some slightly different words, same meaning. Six titles. The Bible is instruction. It is testimony. It is precepts. It is command. Commands. It is described as the fear of God and also ordinances. And then there are six descriptions. It's perfect. It's trustworthy. It's right. It's radiant. It's pure. It's reliable. And then what kind of effect or what benefit does it give? It renews one's life. It gives wisdom. It gives gladness to the heart. Now, how many of us would love to receive some gladness to our hearts the day that we live in, what we've been walking through to receive that? What about light to the eyes, that it endures forever and it leads to righteousness? This is how the psalmist, in kind of a poetic way, was describing God's word. And in doing so, he was thinking about not only its benefits, but he was also understanding that this is something that should be treasured, highly valued, and even consumed. Because he goes on to write these words, they are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, dripping from a honeycomb. He values And he receives, he consumes. Verse 11, in addition, your servant is warned by them. And in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. So maybe part of the message today is an encouragement for us to prize God's word. Maybe maybe because we we each have several copies of it in our home and it's been available to us our whole whole lifetime, maybe, maybe we don't value it as much as we should. Maybe today is a reminder to not only have a higher view of the Bible, but to also place a greater value on it. I read several years ago about, actually I heard, I think this, this came up as a message from, from a sin camp a few, few years ago. The speaker was talking about, about a man who was a fisherman in the Philippines and how he went out day after day and went fishing. And one particular day he stumbled a, a, upon this rock that was down in the water and he pulled it up and he thought, this is a really unique rock. It's really beautiful. I think I'm just going to take it home. And, and he did and he kept it. He cleaned it up. And uh, he put it under his bed. And, and uh, as fishermen kind of are superstitious, at least some of them are, right? He thought every time he'd go out to, to fish that he would rub that rock like it was his lucky rock. And maybe he would do a better, uh, have a better, uh, uh, he'd, have, uh, uh, he'd have more success in, in fishing. And so he had it kind of as a good luck charm. And for 10 years, this big rock was under his bed. And he had no idea what it was. Underneath his bed, he had found the largest pearl ever to be found, ever. And where was it? It was just sitting under his bed. So he was going out trying to earn a living, just scraping by, right? Fishing day after day. And here was something that was literally priceless, just laying under his bed. And so he was moving uh, at one point and and he took this this, uh, rock and he, he gave it to his aunt and said, could you just keep this for me while I'm moving? I don't want anything to happen to it. And she was like, wait a minute. This looks like a pearl. She went and took it in, had it weighed, had it, had it uh, valued. And uh, you know how much this thing's worth? $130 million. <laughs> and he rubbed it every morning before he went fishing, right? <laughs> I mean, if he'd known what it was worth, he wouldn't even have to go fishing, right? I mean, just think about what his life, how it would have looked so much different over the last decade. 
He didn't know what he had. And sometimes I wonder, maybe we don't have a pearl under our bed, but maybe we have a Bible over on the bedstand or over on the bookshelf. Something that, that if we would just pick it up, if we just tap into it, if we would just utilize it, how much value it would bring to our lives. In fact, the Bible uses the word transform, to be transformed by his word. I'd like to encourage you to think about how you take in the Bible. Little by little, day by day, something that can make a big change. In fact, there's an author by the name of Don Whitney. He's written quite a few books about, about different spiritual disciplines. And he uses the illustration of, of making a glass or a, a cup of tea. And he said, if you, if you have hot water in the mug and you have a tea bag, now I realize this one's really big, right? Yeah, probably something too much for one cup. But anyway, I wanted you to be able to see it. So a tea bag, and you have the hot water and you drop it in and you pull it right out. What's this going to taste like? Yeah, hot water, right? I mean, it hasn't had time to really do much. But if you put that tea bag in and you let it seep and it begins to do its work, then what do you have? You have a, you have a strong cup of tea, particularly with a bag this size, right? You have a really, really strong cup. Well, he uses that as an example to say that's, that's like the time we spend in God's Word. You know, maybe we come on a Sunday and we spend some time in, in God's Word, but what about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? If every day, just even if it's a little bit, day by day, what's happening? It's doing its work upon us. It's giving us wisdom to navigate life. It's giving us light. In days in which we need comfort, it's there. In days in which we're fearful, it speaks to us. In times in which we have questions about decisions that, that we're trying to make, it is there to help guide us. So maybe today is not just a day to, to have a higher view of the Bible or to treasure it more. Maybe it's also a day to, to recommit to spending time in God's Word. Maybe, maybe this Bible here that I've got has two bookmarks in it. And maybe it's just a matter of saying, I'm going to take the Gospel of John. I'm going to put the bookmark there. In the morning, I'm going to read some. Wherever I stop, I drop the bookmark back in. Just easy, right? Next day, I pick back up and I keep reading. Maybe from John, maybe I want to read a New Testament letter. Or maybe go back and, and read the book of wisdom, Proverbs, or a psalm. And if you do that consistently, a little here, a little there, it will make for much stronger faith. It will give you a greater insight as to who God is and how he is wanting to work in you and through you. And we live in a day as well where we not only have God's word in a written form, but there are audio versions as well. Maybe you could, you could take time on the commute or take time during the workout and, and just allow the Word of God, again, just to do its work, saturating your life day by day by day. But as I wrap up, I want to give a five-word question. Again, I know we've got the kids here with us, and they're good at memorizing. So I want to give you something to memorize, and maybe moms and dads can help me with this. Here's the question, five words. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Young people, that question, I am convinced, could change the direction of your life. That as things come before you, questions come to mind. Who am I? Well, what does the Bible say? Well, well why did Jesus come to earth? What does the Bible say? 
Well, I read such and such on Instagram, or I heard this on TikTok. Is this, is this really the truth? What does the Bible say? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to determine about my friends and, 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 and friendships. How do, I, how do I navigate friendship? Well, what's the question? What does the Bible say? I'm, I'm, I'm to a point where I'm trying to determine, you know, maybe getting married someday. Well, what kind of, of spouse should I be looking for? Well, what does the Bible say? All of these questions. I'm looking for wisdom, or maybe I need some comfort. How do I, how do I, how do I find comfort in this life? How do I find guidance in this life? Well, what does the Bible say? I think that should be the go-to question. Every time to ask, maybe you say, well, I'm, I'm dealing with a real issue. I, I'm just, I'm struggling with anger. How do I deal with anger? Well, what's the question? What does the Bible say? It speaks about anger. Well, I'm, I'm dealing with conflict. I've got all this conflict in, 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 in my life or in these relationships. How do I handle it? Well, what does the Bible say? If that's the default question that you ask throughout your lifetime, what will it do? It'll bring you back to God's word. If you believe God's word and you treasure God's word, you receive God's word, you will have from God what he expects, what he provides, how he comforts. All of these things are found there. But it begins by first meeting the author of the Bible. Meeting the author. You know, God wants to know you personally. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world so that we could know him. In fact, he sent Jesus on a rescue plan, didn't he? To come and rescue us from our sins. To take the penalty of our sins upon himself so that we could, as we read earlier, be born again. Have new life. If that's not something that you've experienced, I invite you today to come to God's word. Hear the good news of the gospel. Believe it and receive it. By receiving Jesus as your Savior. You'll notice we've got some tables, a couple of them here on the perimeter of the auditorium. We'll have some members of our prayer and encouragement team there in just a few minutes after the service. And if you have a question about what it means to trust Christ, they'd love to talk with you. Or maybe you've come today and you've got a burden, you've got something that you'd like someone to pray with you about. They are there waiting. The rest of the staff will be in the lobby. We'd love to meet guests that are here with us, but there may be others that have some real, real spiritual business that they'd like to take care of with someone today, and I want to make that invitation to you. But as we close, have I said that? I think I've said that three times. I mean it this time. We're really going to close. I've got one final quote that I think will really help us appreciate the Word of God. I don't know who to attribute it to. It's anonymous. It's an unknown source. But this is what it says. The book, this book, this book is the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable, unchanging. Read it to be wise, believe it, to be safe, practice it, to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, 
the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. That's the word of God. Aren't we thankful for God's word? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us enough to provide your word, to speak to us, to give to us something that is alive and effective. And God, we come to you saying we believe your word, we trust it, and we pray that you will help us to cling to it. Even in a day in which it's oftentimes questioned and sometimes mocked, I pray, Lord, that we can have a resolute conviction in your word. We pray, Father, that you will do your work here today as we have read your word. Use your Holy Spirit to apply it. Give us the strength and the faith to believe, but also to walk in your word. And Father, if there are any among us here who have not yet trusted and taken that first step of faith by trusting Jesus as Savior, may this be a day of salvation. So God, use your word. Help us as a church as we desire to remain steadfast. We know that we are inadequate. We are unable. So that's why we ask for your Holy Spirit to do a work within us, even now. For we pray this in Christ's name. And all of God's people said.